The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church, taken from the series Ecclesiastes, Finding Meaning in Life. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Welcome to the creek. Welcome home, Ryan. Ryan had a good beach vacation. Um, yeah, we were, we were living vicariously through them, you know, with sand in our toes and uh, fun stuff. Gulf Shores, Alabama. I, I love that area. Oh, I love the beach, okay? If I can just go lay on a beach somewhere, doesn't matter where it's at, right? It's a beach, okay? So in Texas, we get the heat without the beach. Um, anyway, uh, let me just say something. If you uh, worked behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, washing clothes, folding clothes, pulling supplies together, if you had any part of our back-to-school event yesterday, I want you to stand up um, and just let us give you a, a thank you. Come on, stand. don't be shy. Stand up. Uh, that's what I thought. Yeah. Man. Trying to thank y'all is like pulling teeth, man. Um, you didn't, a lot, not a lot were in this room, though, because they're all in the back with your kids. Yesterday was an amazing opportunity to love our community. We uh, gave away school supplies, backpacks, clothes. That coffee bar, the video cafe, was, it looked like the backpack man threw up, honestly. <laughs> it, it, it was, there's backpacks everywhere, and uh, clothes, and there's clothing racks, and school supplies, and, and it was a good time. But let me tell you what I love the most. I, well, I can't say love the most. One of the things that will stick out about yesterday for me was walking through and watching the conversations and just the, the creek as a church wrapping their arms around our community and saying we love you and ta- having conversations. So it went way beyond school supplies and clothes, and I loved it. So thank you for all of you who were involved with that. It was, it was one of those things that I will always look back on fondly um, and, and I love being a part of our church. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If you don't have one, we have some under the chairs. Some of them under the chairs today are brand new. I unwrapped them this morning because this room, uh, people came in this room yesterday before the event, and they were asking if they could have a Bible. And we are like, of course. So um, we gave them Bibles. We gave out like half a box to three-quarters of a box of Bibles yesterday. And uh, I love that. And I'll buy more. You keep taking them, I'll buy them. I love them. Um, but if you do take one of those, if you don't have one, take it. If you don't have one, put your name in it um, so we know who to make fun of when you leave. I mean, we know who to get back to. I'm just kidding. We do have a little collection of Bibles going. So uh, if you're missing a Bible, um, then we can help connect that if that's yours. Uh, but uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and we are going to get into this. Uh, Solomon uh, is one of those guys... If you've been tracking with us through, the, through this uh, series, Finding Meaning in Life, uh, one of the ways that we just teach here at the Creek is we like to start at the beginning of a book and teach through it. Um, it really forces me into a track of, of teaching all of Scripture. Uh, we're forced to engage with the truth of Scripture. Uh, if you've been with us in this series of Ecclesiastes, you know we've had to hit the, the good, the bad, and the ugly with this. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books because Solomon... 
uh, is kind of one of those personalities. He's willing to go there. He's willing to, to hit the hard things in life and not just say, yeah, it's okay. He's going to say, man, it's terrible. He's not the guy you want watching you if you're in a war and you get shot. You know, you watch the movies and the guy gets shot and the guy is encouraged. Like, it's really not that bad, man. You just hang in there. Solomon be like, dude, you're dead. I wouldn't want to be on the battlefield with Solomon, but I kind of like having Solomon his wisdom available in life. And so uh, let's get into that. Um, there are systems all around us. I mean, we, we're born into a world system. Uh, there are systems of government, systems of, of the way we do things in our family. Uh, even church is a system. And, and what we need to understand is that those systems are broken. You look around, there, there's no perfect system. You look at Solomon's going to pick on the politics or the government system. And, you know, I know we don't experience that same thing in our day and age, but it happened in the Bible times. Um, and, but you can plug any system into this, any organization. Most of you work in an organization that when you get home finally on Friday, you know, and you're living for the weekend, you're working for the weekend, you could probably give us a great uh, uh, lecture on how broken the organizational system of your uh, company is. I mean, we all can. I mean, and just because we're a church, let me just break your bubble early in this. We're not immune to that, okay? We're just as messed up, all right? Um, and that's what makes it fun. But when you look at the, the systems in the world and the, what Solomon's going to get into is we really kind of see them two different ways. One of the ways that the majority of the world sees the systems and sees the problems and all of the things that, that ail us and pain us as a society is external, meaning if we will just learn enough, if we could get enough knowledge or if we could catch up with science enough, then we will gain the understanding and then we'll be able to fix the problems that plague society. And so we think it's everything external. So if we learn more and, and if we can figure it out, if we can just roll up our sleeves and bring in this human ingenuity, we can figure out how to solve the problems. The other view is really more of Scripture is that the problems that plague us are not just external, they're internal. Uh, let me give you a case in point. We're all broken, sinful people. I mean, I'm reminded every day how broken I am and how imperfect I am and how much I have a need for a Savior who is full of grace because sometimes I get fed up with myself. And I have a Savior who says, man, yeah, you're a screw-up, but I love you, buddy. Come on, we can do this. And we can try to fix things externally. And if we don't deal with the internal issue, we'll still uh, jack it up. Think about this. Science and the, just the medical advances we've seen in science are incredible. We have these drugs called wonder drugs. And they've had great success in treating HIV and AIDS patients and even able to prolong their life. They won't go so far to say it's a cure, and I don't think it's a cure, but they're prolonging the life of people who Solomon would be on the battlefield going, dude, you're dead. And these wonder drugs are prolonging the life. That's a great external fix, but here's the problem. Millions of people in third world countries will die not getting these wonder drugs because of greed and corruption. We can externally fix problems, but 
but the internal man still jacks it up. And so Solomon says there's a problem with this system. There's a problem with the broken nature of humanity and we live in a broken world. We interact with broken systems. Every organization, every institution is broken and Solomon is just calling it as it is and saying this is, this is messed up. And so if, if we're going to live this life that tries to please God or live a righteous life, then how do we interact and how do we survive this system? How do we live, work, and play in a broken system. And Ecclesiastes chapter 8, I think, is going to give us some great wisdom as we go into this. Uh, verse one, uh, Chapter 8, verse 1, Solomon is going to pick on government, but like I said, you can plug anything in here. It all fits. It's plug-and-play technology. Um, chapter 8, verse 1, Who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. So what Solomon's saying is, is there, there's a transformation that occurs. The transformation highlights and lets us see that, hey, we are in a broken system. This wisdom that Solomon says changes a man's face. If you think about it, with the New Testament, it's, it's the reconciliation that God brings through the cross. opens our life to a different system. Through the reconciliation that happens through the cross, we're a part of a system that God has that is not broken. And yet we've got to live in the broken system. And so we're transformed, and then we're going to see things differently. And then he says, obey the king's command. I say because you took an oath before God. What we've got to do is we've got to be careful. What Solomon's leading us into is be careful who we submit to. He's speaking of the king and the government. I mean, Solomon was the king. So, of course, he's going to say, you can submit to me. It's all good. It's easy for the leader to say, you can submit to me. But what Solomon's saying is, be careful who you submit to. And I know in our society, we've made submission a curse word. You know, it's like, I ain't submitting to you. It's really a beautiful process if you think through it scripturally. But we still have to be careful who we submit to. And we all have an element of submission in our life. You're going to go to your job tomorrow morning, and you're going to submit to your boss. Otherwise, we're going to get a prayer request about Wednesday. Hey, I'm looking for a job. Any network opportunities? If you're in a marriage, you know you're going to be in submission to each other. Both men and women. Friendships. You submit in your friendships. What Solomon is saying is this is important who we submit to, who we give power to, and why is this so important? Uh, Let's keep reading. Verse 3, do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? You say to the king, what are you doing? You disappear. That's just the way it would happen, you know. He'd be like, hey, whatever happened to shh? He says it's important who you submit to because you may find yourself a part of a system. Once you submit, you're a part of it. You may find yourself a part of a system that woos you into doing something you never realized you would be doing. Like once you, once you sign up, you're, you're a part of that. 
and you are now submitting into that, and there's authority over you, and you may find yourself doing something. I didn't sign up for this. I was talking with, with a retired military uh, personnel yesterday about Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and we were talking just about that, that whole context of life. And uh, he said that, that many soldiers enlisted because there was peace, and they were looking for a job in college. And then when war happens, they're like, I didn't sign up for this. And he's like, you signed up for the United States military. And they're like, I'm starting. Be careful who you submit to because you may find yourself in a position that you didn't sign up for. And you can be easily swayed and wooed apart away from it. The, the challenge is once we submit, we're a part of an organization. Very rarely do we ever sit at the top of it. So we don't get to make the decisions. And so he's saying, be careful who you submit to. He's also saying, if you're not careful, you may find you're someone you never wanted to be. You may find that you're someone that you never planned on being. Verse 5 says, whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a man's misery weighs heavily on him. I don't know if you've ever um, fought these acceptance issues. I mean, I used to think that I would just deal with those like in elementary school and then maybe it's just middle school or maybe it's just high school. Maybe it's just college. Maybe it's just because I'm just starting a job. Maybe it's just because, you know, fill in the blank. But as humans, we all deal with an issue of acceptance. Whether you're introvert or extrovert, you want to be accepted by other people. I want to be accepted by other people. It drives me crazy when I know people don't like me. I'm like, but I can fix that. I can't. Some people don't like me, and I got to be okay with that. I don't like some people, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> just, just been honest with you, right? But we find ourselves so desiring acceptance of other people that we're willing to compromise who we are or what we stand for. And Solomon is saying, you need to know who you are before you even start this process. And I I would even challenge us not just to know who we are, but know who we are in Christ. Know what Christ has commanded of us. Know what the gospel means in our life. The good news of Jesus, that as that transforms us, what does that transformation look like? Because when that transformation occurs, it changes who I am. I move from an alienated relationship where where I have animosity towards God and how I behave, and through the cross, I'm reconciled and made righteous. And that should transform and change the way I view every system on earth. It should change how I approach my family. It should change how I approach my finances, my my work environment, how I even go to the grocery store, how I look at the world around me, how I engage with everything. It transforms the way I view everything in the world. It still means that those systems are broken and that it's run by broken people. I mean, you put broken people in an organization, you just have organized brokenness but it changes how I view those and approach those. And what Solomon is saying is know who you are before because if you don't set the plan, you will end up somewhere that you don't want to be. The premarital counseling that, that I do, I, I, I really put these couples through a process. It's really fun. 
I get a lot of aggravation out on premarital counseling. So if you're needing premarital counseling, you might want to call a counselor and say, hey, we went to a counselor. But I make them go through this plan because I, I, I don't think I've ever had a couple stand before me to get married in the presence of God planning for divorce. But very few couples stand in the presence of God to make that covenant and have a plan on how to stay married. Solomon saying, know who you are before you start because it'll make those decisions, it'll make those times that come up easier to deal with. That way you're not caught in the middle of going, how do I determine what's right and wrong, what's good and best? Should I be involved in this? Should I not be involved in this? When we get clear about who we are in Christ and what Christ has called us to do and and shown us through the Scriptures how to align our life with Him, then those questions become a lot easier. And some people are like, well, I've been praying and seeking God's will for my life all my life and I still don't have it. Stop overcomplicating it. God says that you're created to give Him glory in everything you do. So if you want to know God's will for your life, are you working with all your heart to give Him glory? Are you parenting and are you in your marriage and putting everything in it to give Him glory? That's the will of God. When you start doing those things, other things start opening up. And some of these questions become a lot easier to deal with. And so set that path before you even start walking. Us as a church, when we launched, God gave us a clear directive. He gave us a mission, but He gave us a directive on how to do that. He says, if you'll love people and make Jesus clear, you'll stay out a lot of junk. Let me tell you, that's kept us out of a lot of junk. And the way we filter decisions here is, does this make Jesus more clear? No, don't do it. Does this help us love people? Nope, don't do it. If it makes Jesus more clear and helps us love people, giddy up. Here we go. Let's do it. And we go for it. Know what God is asking you to do before you set out to do it. We find ourselves in a lot easier time making those transition. This this next piece, verse 7 and 8, is important uh, outside the church, but also inside the church. Since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? No man has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the day of his death. As no one is discharged in the time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. What Solomon's saying is even if you're careful who you submit to, and you're careful who you give power in your life to, you, you know who you are. You know who's God, who God's called you to be. You're, you're, you're traveling down that road. You're doing things right. What he's saying, sometimes it's still going to go bad. There's the encouraging word of the day, right? Great. Came for hope and you just smacked me. Thanks a lot. Solid, dude. Told you. Battle wound. You're dying, dude. You know, he's honest. A soldier's not going to get discharged in a time of war. He's like, you can be doing everything right and it still goes wrong. Let, let me help you with this. Uh, I love watching military shows and the military channel. And it's just, man, it just like, I don't know, just like boosts my manliness or something. 
But I love watching training and the SEAL shows and how these guys go through this training. And it is incredible. I got to do an exercise with a police department where it was active shooter training. And we're going through a school and and it was, we used real guns with this, these fake bullets that shoot. It's not paintball, but it's kind of like paintball. It's a real bullet with gunpowder and everything. And it shoots paint. It hurts. I got to play. It was awesome. And the SWAT guys are training and everything. I'm like, this is just, I, I was just like, yeah. But I love watching how soldiers are trained and they can teach them. Here's exactly what you do in these battle scenarios. They can train them how to go enter a room, how to clear a room, how to take out the threat, how to train for war in every way possible, be prepared. And let me ask you something. All of the soldiers that we have sent into war, that we trained with all of this knowledge, do all of them make it home? They don't. What Solomon is saying is we can do everything right and it still goes wrong. And he's saying you just have to trust. In the end, all you can do is what you're trained to do. Be obedient and trust Jesus. That's not an easy message for us to hit in church sometimes because it's not the feel-good thing. You're like, I'm doing everything right, Pastor Matt. Keep doing it. Keep trusting. Keep walking in obedience. You may walk in the rain for a while longer. I can't tell you. I don't know. And that hurts and that's hard because that doesn't Mm -hmm. give you the light at the end of the tunnel. Heard one guy say, he goes, man, I get worried about lights at the end of the tunnel. I was like, why? He goes, because most of them are trains. Um, (laughs) Verse 9. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. He says, I'm looking, I'm, I'm trying to figure out everything in the world. There's a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then, too, I saw the wicked buried. Those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. What he's saying is these men were getting praised and and, and then they're they're, they're turning wicked and everything. And I'm seeing people give praise to people. and, And I have heroes. You have heroes. And what you need to understand is your heroes, my heroes are all broken people too. And so what Solomon is bothered by is us giving our praise to men instead of to God. I have heroes. I don't want to be them. I want to be like them. I have mentors that have character above a lot of people that I've ever met. And I don't want to be those men. But I'd like to model that character. And it's easy for me to get into a situation with any of my mentors going, how would they handle this? How would my mentor handle this? When we've got to quit praising men and praise God, God, based on your character that I read in Scripture, how do I handle this? It's okay to give them an attaboy. I mean, we all need to hear, good job, attaboy. But we've got to be careful about the pedestals that we put people on because the things that they do and the work they accomplished is God working through them. 
So let's, let's recognize that. Say, boy, man, God is working through you, and I give the praise and the glory to God for working through you because you're broken just like I am. And, and let me help you. I, I'm broken, and I will disappoint you. I don't want to, and I'm not seeking out every day, hey, how can I disappoint someone today? You know, I've never got out of bed going, hmm, I'd like to disappoint someone today. But it happens. There may be an expectation that you have that I can't live up to. There may be a time that that you expect me to be there that I can't, and I will disappoint you. Here's what I ask for is grace. And when I do good, don't praise me. Praise God working through me, that he can take a broken, messed up man and do something through. And when when I see you doing something good, I'm going to praise God because he can take you, a broken person, and work through him. And when you disappoint me, there's grace. I think if we operate in that system, uh, we'll understand and we can give praise where praise is due and grace where grace is needed. And I think we'll get along down the road a lot better. There's only one Messiah. There's only one that's perfect, one that can fix everything, and it's not me. It's not me. If you want, I'm a demo guy, okay? I can tear stuff up, but you want me to put it together? You're going to have to call in somebody else, man. I mean, a sledgehammer is one of my favorite tools. You ain't going to do anything, any fixing with that. So let's, let's let Jesus do the work, and let's stay faithful and give him the praise. And so Solomon just continues on because he's trying to figure how do we live in this broken world where wicked people gain and righteous people suffer. Verse 11. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. You see this all the time. It's like speeding. This week, school's not in session, but the school zones are flashing. And so as I pull into that school zone, I'm doing my 20 miles an hour, and all these fools are passing me. I'm like, well, if they're getting away with it, you know, I'm not alone in that. I'm not the only one. Y'all the ones passing me. School starts this week. Mind the school zones. Um. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve, this too, I say, is meaningless. Solomon is saying, man, wicked people gain, righteous people suffer. There's something wrong with this. It's broken. I get it, but there's something wrong with it. But what Solomon is saying is, be careful how you see the world. Learn to see the world from an eternal perspective, not a temporary perspective. Because we will see people, let me just tell you this, you're going to see people do wicked things. You're going to see people do bad things, wrong things, fill in the blank with whatever word you want to use. And you know what's going to happen? Nothing. You may even see it happen, and they gain from it. And we start thinking, well, what's up with that? 
I mean, I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to stay obedient. And I feel like I get beat up and, and people are doing whatever they want and they're still gaining. I mean, this guy has no integrity in his job and he just was able to buy a new house, a new car. He just got invited to the country club. What's up with that? I don't mind not getting invited to a country club. I would probably get invited to leave. They'd be like, uh, you can't drive a golf cart that way, sir. Um, But you'll see that happen. And what Solomon is saying is be careful what you judge as a success. Because in the end, it gets called to account. That's why Solomon says it will be better for the God-fearing, reverent man than the wicked because there will come a day. when you, when you If we see it temporary, we're going to get really frustrated. But when we see this as an eternal thing, we say, you know, I'm going to fear God. I'm going to be reverent to God. I'm going to continue down the obedient path because one day it will be made right. One of the stories that we like to share in church is about, you know, this man, God laid it on his heart to, to write a check for $100. And then the testimony is that week, man, a check randomly showed up for $100. That was a God thing. I'm not minimizing that. You know, God can do whatever he wants. But we don't like to share the story in church of the man who God says, I want you to give $100 and he didn't eat that week. And that's a real scenario. And God says, don't trust me for the $100. Trust me to be your supply and your provision and your source, and your savior. And don't look to the world to fill these needs because I can do it. And Solomon said, man, we can get in that trap and we will wear ourselves out. And churches, I'll tell you, I'll probably ask you to, to, to call in sick a couple years to church if, if, because we tend to take it on as our position as the church to police this. It's not. We're not the righteous police. I see people in church. I'm like, man, I'm a, I, I will, as your pastor, and I love you, I'm going to call you out and, be, and hold, try to hold you accountable, but I can't fix you. And I'm not going to try to police it. And Solomon says, this will wear you out. I'm looking at it the eternal thing. Hey, man, if you're not willing to, to look at the long-term consequences, man, I'm going to keep my head down and stay obedient. Then Solomon's last bit of advice. So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what God does under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. What Solomon is saying is, and once you've been careful who you submit to, 
and you've set out to know your identity in Christ and what he's commanded you to do before getting into the situations, and you're careful how you see the word, and you do all of these things, he says at the end of it, call your friends, go to dinner, eat, drink, tell stories, laugh, go home, trust God, and go to sleep. I know there's people in our church community that that are losing sleep because of the stress that they're carrying in life. I know people whose stress level has sucked the life out of them and the ability to enjoy life. I'm just, we're going to get a moment of honesty here. And and the thing that I don't want to do is read through this scripture and go, that's great advice, Solomon. Appreciate you, buddy. But let's leave here having interacted with the Word of God. And let's let it get in. Let's let it get... I want to get personal here for just a second. What I want you to do is... Just just do this with me. Close your eyes and just clear out all your space. School's starting this week. The to-do lists are stupid long. You're hungry. You're already thinking about where you're going to lunch. Uh, Put all that out. Put all that out. Just clear the space. I want to ask you some questions, and you answer these internally. I'm not looking for any show of hands or external display or anything like this. This is your space with God. And after going through this, and we are so fed up with a broken system and how to live in a broken system, I I, I want you to ask, is there an area of your life that's heavy, that is causing pressure and strain and stress and, and there may be decisions being made outside of your control that, that are affecting or pulling against what you know is right. That weighty pressure on your heart, your mind, is keeping you up at night. It, it could be work. It could be relationship. It could be finances. It could be even something here with church. But I want to ask you a couple things because I'm sure that situation or scenario has been at the front of your mind most of this teaching and you're trying to figure out how to fix that. Let me ask you a couple things. Have you done all that God's asked you to do? All that God has put before you to be accountable to do Have you done that? If that's asking for forgiveness, have you asked for forgiveness? If if that's whatever God has asked you through Scripture and put on your heart, have you done it? Have you owned what you're responsible for? If the answer is no, I think you kind of know what this week needs to look like. And some of you may be going, well, I've done this, but they dot, dot, dot. I'm not trying to assess blame or place blame. You're in here, and God's wanting to interact with you. Have you done everything you're accountable to do?
if it's yes, I've done everything that, that Scripture has shown me to do and everything that God's called me to do, then what Scripture is telling us this morning is to go from this place, call our friends, have a meal, drink deeply of life, share stories, and trust God. Father, I thank you so much for being trustworthy. That time and time again, you have shown yourself faithful even when we are not. And I know the system that we live in and work in is not, it's not perfect by any means. But God, I do want to thank you for our country. And I want to thank you for the United States of America because we were able to approach Scripture and open Scripture without fear this morning. And I know there are those who are brothers and sisters all over the world who do not have that luxury. And as we open this, your word this morning, Father, I ask that, that you begin to wrap our hearts in your hands and, and just let your peace wash over us, that even though things are broken, that you have the power to restore. That even the situations and scenarios that we have found ourselves in, maybe we have submitted to something that, that we have found ourselves away from the things of God and we've been wooed away and you're wooing us back. Uh, forgive us. Open our eyes and our hearts to make the right decisions. Give us the courage to, to step back on track with you. And we thank you for the blood that you shed on the cross so that we can live in a reconciled relationship with you even in a broken system on earth. And that one day we'll all be made right. Father, I just pray for the men and women in this room that, that you help them enjoy life. Even when things don't go our way, there can still be a joy in our life. I thank you for friends that we can enjoy life with. Father, we love you so much and we just ask that you take us from this place and into the systems that we work in and live in and help us to know who we are in you trust you and to enjoy life. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.